We this morning are going to be in 1 Corinthians, if you'd like to turn there, in the first chapter specifically of 1 Corinthians. It's page 952, if you're using a pew Bible this morning. We are continuing on in our series looking at Paul's letters. And again, I want to stress this morning, that's exactly what they are. These are letters that Paul has written to early church, to the believers in these early churches. The, the first letter that we looked at, the first one chronologically that was written, it was the book of Galatians, the letter to the churches in the Galatia area. He again was, he was responding, uh, Paul was responding in exasperation about those that had come through and, and told that they needed to be circumcised, that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. So he wrote this letter and said, circumcision was not needed for the Gentile believers. And he was exasperated as he wrote that. They had a church council, if you remember, to meet about those things. The second and third letters that chronologically that we have that Paul wrote were letters to the Thessalonians. They were a much different flavor than the book of Galatians. Galatians was written in exasperation, but, but first and second Thessalonians, letters to the believers in Thessalonica, they were written, written to give encouragement and to support the early church there. If you remember, as we, as we walked through that story, Paul had, had started the church in Thessalonica and, and had fond memories of them and wanted to know how they were doing and, and sent Timothy back so that Timothy could, could visit with them and, and bring him a report. And Timothy does bring a, a good report, a strong report. And so Paul is encouraged by that and sends another letter um, so that the Thessalonians might be encouraged and instructed on a few things. The next chronological letters that we get are these letters to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. These, are, these would be then the, the fourth and the fifth canonical letters, which means the fourth and fifth letters that we have here in the New Testament. But, but they are not... They are not the only letters that Paul has written to the church in Corinth. They're just the only letters that we have here in the canon, in the New Testament. In fact, we see here in, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he tells us that, that Paul had previously written a letter. In chapter 5, verse 9, you see that Paul had previously written a letter asking them to, to flee from sexual immorality. He had given them some specific instructions in, in a previous letter that we don't have. This is, the, this is the first letter that we have here, which is probably the second, at least, the second letter that he has written to Corinth. And later, when we get to 2 Corinthians, we'll hear that there was an additional letter that was written to the church in Corinth in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So what we know of just from inferring as we read through these two, two letters in 1 and 2 Corinthians is that... At least there was probably four letters, and there's also a visit, which we'll talk about later, a visit from Paul to the church in Corinth in between all of these letters. So what we want to do this morning, and, and really the, the whole goal that I have of us walking through these surveys of Paul's epistles, because we really can't get into all the specifics of it is to try to better understand what, what was happening and how did it, how, why did Paul write these letters? And, and there's specifics in it that help us to see that, but, but I want us to have the overarching vision 
of why Paul wrote these letters to the churches. And so, to go back to our study through the book of Acts, you have to look at Acts chapter 18 is where we first come to the city of Corinth. If you remember back here in Acts chapter 18 and in the previous chapters in 16 and and 17, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He he had his first journey. He had gone through those churches in Galatia. Then the, the, the council met. He raced out following that council to go back to the churches in Galatia to tell them about what the council had decided that and that they had to come to terms with the idea that, that Gentile believers did not need to be circumcised. He raced out to tell them that and then continued on. And, and we kind of walked through that. You saw it through the maps. He goes on. He, goes, he, he sees the Macedonian man. He crosses over uh, into Macedonia. He goes through those cities, Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and, and is, gets beat up in the midst of that, literally beat up, thrown into jail, has, has all of these different things where he's chased out of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. He's on the move pretty consistently. In fact, so much so that as we walked through that process, I said, I said one of the things that, his, his, that Paul's disciples that were with him, Silas and, 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 and Timothy, um, they, they sent him off kind of on a vacation cruise. And you can, I mean, you can see that. He, they sent him off on this cruise to head to, to Athens so that he could get a break from all of the things that had been going on. He'd been in these, these other cities a short amount of time and had a difficult time while he was there. And so he goes to Athens, the vacation city. And when he gets there, Paul can't help himself. He goes and he begins to preach there on Mars Hill and doesn't get much success as we read he gets chastised, he gets teased, and even gets chased out of Athens. And then he lands here in Corinth. Corinth, you can see, go back to that, that closer up. Corinth, you can see, is, is, is on this little land bridge kind of between the, the bay there into the Aegean Sea. And it's a, it's a, large, it's a large city, probably, probably, 300,000 to, to, to maybe up to, to almost three-quarters of a million people that lived in that city during that time, um, including uh, just a, a huge hundreds of thousands of slaves that lived there at the time. Um, and he gets there, and, and he's lonely. He doesn't have his, his traveling mates. Silas and Timothy have not arrived yet. He's still on his own. He's lonely. He's, he, it appears, as we read through Acts 18, he's probably low on cash. Um, he doesn't have much money and needs some help. And he arrives in Corinth. And even there, when he first arrives, his ministry is met with difficulty. But it's in Corinth that things begin to make a turn for Paul, if you remember, in chapter 18 of Acts. He gives, he has several things that help him to, to have a settledness in his ministry, a settledness in his soul. He meets Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. If you remember, Priscilla and Aquila had come. They were believers that had come from Rome. They had been cast out of Rome. They landed here in Corinth. Um, they become dear friends and co-workers for Paul. They're, they're co-workers in the church. We're going to learn more about them. They, they continue to have a part in the, in the ministry of the churches that Paul sets up 
including here in Corinth, but they're also co-workers, like physical co-workers. They are tent makers, which is the, the task that Paul had been trained in as well. And so he actually physically works side by side with them, making tents and then preaching in the evenings. Um, and, and Priscilla and Aquila are, are helpful friends for the Apostle Paul. He also continues to teach in the synagogue here in Corinth, as he does over and over. He goes to the synagogue. He, he tries to reach the Jews. That's, that's his heart, is that Jewish people might find their hope in Jesus. But he continues over and over in, in city after city after city. He continues to have, have run into to Jewish, traditional Jewish unbelievers who, who rebel against what Paul is saying. And in fact, here in Corinth is where we find that Paul gets so disgusted, so upset, so fed up with the Jews in the synagogue that he finally just says, your blood be on your own heads. And he moves next door. To the synagogue. There's a home there of Titius, it says. And he moves in there and begins to preach next door to the synagogue. It's here at this home next door to the synagogue that we read in, in Acts chapter 18 that, that Crispus, the synagogue ruler, or at this point probably the former synagogue ruler, comes to faith with his family. So Paul begins to see some success even, even when he's met with difficulty. But Paul here is, again, hauled before the ruler of the country. He's hauled before Gallio. But before he can even utter a word in his own defense, as Gallio hears the case, he dismisses Paul's case and calls it just a case of internal squabbling among the Jews. He doesn't even give Paul a chance to respond, but dismisses it. And even with all of those things, friends of Priscilla and Aquila, the, the early believers, the, in fact, the, the synagogue leader that leaves the synagogue comes next door, comes to faith under the ministry of Paul. Even the, even the country rulers that are standing up for him, he still is discouraged, so much so that we read in Acts chapter 18 that, that the Lord, that Jesus comes to him and gives him a vision gives Paul a vision and says in verse 9 of Acts 18, the Lord says to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so Paul, with that promise from the Lord, stays, it says in verse 11, stays a year and six months teaching the word among them. Paul stays in Corinth for a year and a half and has a, a, a settledness about him that he hadn't had earlier on this second missionary journey. Paul, you'll have to remember that Paul, as he stays there 18 months, Paul, when he writes these letters, he, he knows the people of the church as he writes to them. He, he knows their names. He pictures their faces these are personal letters to Paul. There's, there's the, the, the next letter after Corinthians, the next letter that's written chronologically is Romans. We'll look at that after we get done with the Corinthian letters. He doesn't know the people in Rome. He's never been to Rome. He's, he's writing in anticipation of getting to go to Rome. But this letter, these letters here in Corinthians, he knows. He knows their faces. He knows their families. He knows who they are. 
Paul, in the second missionary journey, after 18 months in Corinth, he, he heads across, back across the sea. They go to Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila go with him to Ephesus, and they establish a church there. Paul continues on and goes back to Jerusalem and continues on and finishes his second missionary journey. And Priscilla and Aquila, while they're there in Ephesus, we read in Acts, that they meet this young, talented Alexandrian named Apollos. And they give him some training, it tells us in Acts. And then they send... They send Apollos back across the sea, back over to Corinth, so that he might minister to the church in Corinth. And Paul, back in Jerusalem, then begins his third missionary journey, which is that next slide you see there. He heads again through Galatian churches, but he's kind of on a mission. He races to get to Ephesus. He knows his friends, Priscilla and Aquila, are there. He knows that the early church has started there in Ephesus, and he wants to minister there alongside of them. And so he races to Ephesus and then settles in Ephesus. He spends about three years in Ephesus. And while he's there in Ephesus, he begins to get these reports about the church in Corinth that he had just left months before. He begins to get these reports. He begins to hear what's happening in the church in Corinth. And so uh, the letters begin to go back and forth between Paul in Ephesus and the church in Corinth across the sea. And that's the letters that we have here. Paul writes them while he's in, living in Ephesus here at the beginning of his third missionary journey back to the church, the people in Corinth that he knows. Corinth as, as I shared before when we were in the book of Acts, Corinth was a, a, a large cosmopolitan city. One, one commentator, if you remember, I told you this back in that series, but one commentator says that, that Athens was like Boston, it was the intellectual center. Corinth was like New York City, the commercial center. Ephesus was like Los Angeles, the popular culture and occult center. And Rome was like Washington, D.C., the political center of the nation. Corinth was like New York City. It was a large cosmopolitan city. It had, been, it had been destroyed and then rebuilt around 44 BC by the Romans. So it's fairly new as Paul comes onto the scene. It's less than 100 years old at this point. And there's, there's a center for, for trade happening here. If you, re, if you remember, I, this is amazing to me, but in Corinth there is a canal that connects the, that bay that's kind of to the northwest uh, there and the sea that goes through there. there. Today, there's a canal that runs through this little set of, of land there to get ships back and forth. And, and they had tried for hundreds of years. They had tried to dig this, and a number of rulers had come in and tried to dig this canal. But at this point, when Paul is there, there's, there's not a canal. They've attempted to make one. They can't get it done. And so what they do is ships come in there because it's easier for the ships to come into that, that bay, that harbor. And, and they come in, and then they unload the ships. And these hundreds of thousands of slaves that they have in Corinth unload the ships, and they cart, carry all of the stuff across this little couple of miles of land to the other side and reload new ships on the other side because that's an easier safer way for them to transport all of these, all of these goods around through this area. So it's a, it's a mecca for trade in this world. The land, all of the people come on the land to come to that spot. This, this two 
bays come together, and so there's shipping trade that happens there as well. And so this intersection becomes this, this cosmopolitan hub of all kinds of people. The city of Corinth, because it had all this trade that happened there, they had powerful, powerful men, wealthy, wealthy men and powerful banks People in Corinth were able to, to try to achieve anything that they could put their minds to. This would have been, years and years ago, this would have been a city where they would have a, what we would call now a Western or an American mindset. If I just work hard enough, if I put the effort in, if I grab a hold of my bootstraps, I can do whatever I want to do and accomplish whatever I want to accomplish. Also, in this city, this cosmopolitan city of Corinth, people were told are rootless, rootless, meaning they, they don't have any family connections. They've, they've traveled from all of these different areas. They've come to this hub, and once they get there, they have decided that, that they're all on their own. They can be whatever and whoever they want to be. They can do whatever, they, whatever their heart's content with. And so that individuality leads to all kinds of selfish greed and sensuality and idolatry in the city of Corinth. And because of that, because of that selfish greed and individuality, it becomes unbelievably immoral. In fact, the, the common term during that, phrase, during that time would have been if you were the Corinthian or if you played the Corinthian, they would say, that that meant that you were exceptionally, exceedingly sexually immoral if you were labeled or termed a Corinthian. There was a temple just outside the city to Aphrodite. It was filled and surrounded by prostitutes of both genders and sexuality ran rampant through the city of Corinth. It's to a church, a small group of believers in that city, filled with people who had come from that kind of lifestyle and are still, even as we come to this letter, they're still surrounded by those influences. It's that group of people that Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians, the letter we'll look at today and, and next week, is divided into two sections. There's this first section, chapter 1 through 6. Paul, Paul has heard things about the church in Corinth and about the people of Corinth. And so he writes these first books one, or chapters, 1 through 6. The first part of his letter that he writes to the church in Corinth is things that he's heard and he's responding to the things that he's heard are happening in Corinth. And then... In chapter 7 through 16, there's a turn. He, he, he says, and now about, he, he says often, or regarding, he says, um, the answers, these are Paul's responses, these are Paul's answers to questions that the Corinth church sent him, as I mentioned in that previous letter. Things that they're asking him about and asking him to give his advice and instruction and opinion on. And so what I want us to do today, next week we'll look at some of the specifics of what, of what Paul addresses and talks about. But today what I want you to see more than anything else, and we can see it right here in this very first chapter. What I want you to see is, is this overarching theme 
that Paul has in this letter to the Corinthians, and then the two dominant sub-themes that he has, all of them found here in, in chapter 1. Paul wants the Corinthians to know, this is the main theme of the books of Corinthians, is that the gospel matters in every part of our lives. The gospel matters in every part. It affects every single thing. Every single part of our life is affected by the gospel. It impacts everything. And what we read just in this letter is that it impacts what we eat. It impacts how we treat people. It impacts how we even treat ourselves and our own bodies. It impacts how we respond to grievances around us and to us. It impacts how our marriages look like. It impacts if we even need to be married. The gospel impacts how we worship. The gospel impacts how we love. The gospel impacts how we will live even in the afterlife after we leave this place. The gospel matters in every single part of our life. There's nothing, there's nothing in our life that is not impacted by the gospel. And Paul gives us two kind of overarching sub-themes in the midst of that. The first, as we see it here in, in chapter one, this first sub-theme that he gives us is the gospel, he says, calls us to be set apart. The gospel calls us to be set apart. He says it here in chapter one, uh, right away at the very beginning, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, our brother, and our brother Sosthenes, says this in verse two, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are already called to be saints. We are called to be saints Paul calls us here right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians when he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. He says, you are sanctified and you are saints together. You are already, the gospel has already taken root in you and you are called to be holy. There is something different about you than everyone else in the city of Corinth. You are saints. The Holy Spirit is alive and at work in you. That's why, as Paul writes this letter, as he talks about all of these different topics, he says, you're called to be different. You're called to be different. He says, your body, in chapter 3, he says, your body is a temple. It matters how you treat your body. That's why in chapter 15, the resurrection is so important to Paul because your body matters. Church discipline, he says in chapter 5. Church discipline is necessary because you're called to be different. You are saints. 
In fact, if you look at chapter 5, and we'll look at it a little bit next week, there's a man who, and this is one of the main issues that is happening in this church in Corinth. It's probably why that first letter that we don't have, the first letter was written to the people in Corinth. There's a man in the church in Corinth, one of the members of the church in the church of Corinth has married his stepmother. And Paul says, Paul says, that's not okay. And he doesn't spend time in chapter 5 here in 1 Corinthians, he doesn't spend time chastising the man. He doesn't say, this is why you shouldn't have done that. What he's chastising is the church in chapter 5. He says, you cannot tolerate sexual immorality. You are saints. You're called to be different. There is something that should be different about you than everyone else in the city of Corinth. And while it might be okay and accepted outside the church, it cannot be accepted inside the church. The gospel matters. It matters in chapter 11 when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. He says, this meal, this meal that we take together as a church body, it's not like other meals. You can't just come in and grab whatever you want to eat and as much as you want to eat and do it on your own. The Lord's Supper is not like those other meals. We're remembering Jesus' last commands, he tells us. We're remembering his death and resurrection. It's different. The gospel matters in the way that we come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's different. You are to be different. You're saints. Chapter 6, the way that we deal with squabbles and disagreements. He says, you don't just go to the city judge, but instead maybe you bear the injustice yourself. You're different. You're saints. You're called to be different. He says it here in chapter 1, down at the end in verse 26. He says it this way. He says, for consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let no one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He says, you are to be set apart. God has chosen you to be different. You're to be set apart from the rest of the world, the rest of the city. But he gives another overarching theme here also in chapter 1 and throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. The second sub-theme that he gives, he says you're called to be set apart, but then he says you are called to be united together. You're called to be set apart and you're called to be united together. Look at verse 10 there in chapter 1. He talks about it here in this whole passage, but in verse 10 he just says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, That all of you agree that there is no division among you, but that you are united in the same mind and the same judgment. 
You're to be united together. He spends several chapters here in, in chapter 1 and continuing in chapter 2 and 3 to talk about those divisions. You cannot be divided. You're called to be united together. We are not Paul is telling us that we are not individuals that come together, individuals that come together once a week. This this gathering of our church body is not a collection of individuals. This is not just our time to come together for a group devotional coupled with coffee and donuts so that we might visit together. We are, he says in chapter 12, we are one body together. Each of us are different parts of one body, he says in chapter 12. And each of us have different roles and different parts that we play. And all of us have different gifts and skills that need to come together to be united together in one body. He says individualism Individualism has no place in the church. We are called to be united together. That's why membership is so important in the church, that we covenant to come together as one body in the church. When we begin to pick and choose, when we begin to think that church is just a carte blanche menu of ministries for us to see what we like and what we don't like and to be involved in what we want and what we don't want, we begin to lose the calling that we've been given by Jesus that Paul affirms here in 1 Corinthians. Your connection in the body, your ministry, the gifts and skills that God has given to you, those are meant to build the body, to be used in the body. And so when you are not a part of the body, it's not just you who are missing out, but it's the entire body that's being robbed. We're called to be united together. We're called to be united together. And so Paul says to the church in Corinth, you're to be set apart. You're not supposed to be like everyone else in the city, but you're supposed to do it together. The overarching theme for 1 Corinthians, the worship team's going to come and help us as we close this morning, but this overarching theme is the gospel matters. Matters in everything. And next week, as I mentioned, we'll look at some of those specifics. We'll look at, at how Paul walks us through some of those details but the, the theme, the, the verse probably that, that you've heard, there's all kinds of verses in 1 Corinthians that you, that you know. There's a, a, a love chapter 13 that's quoted at, at weddings all the time. But there's a verse that I use often. You've heard me use it. It's a, it's a banner that we hang over here on the wall sometimes. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, you do for the glory of God of God. The gospel matters in everything. That's what Paul's trying to get across here in 1 Corinthians. The gospel calls us to be set apart. We are saints and we are to be holy. The gospel calls us to be united together. We are to come together to do it as one church body. My hope is that we might reflect we might reflect the holiness and the completeness of our Lord, displaying his glory in whatever 
whatever we do. Stand with me this morning as we worship together. Give me one pure and holy passion And give me one magnificent obsession Give me one glorious ambition for my life To know and follow hard after you To know and follow your disciple in the truth this world is empty pale and poor compared to new knowing you my lord lead me on and i will run after you lead me on and i will run after you same benediction that Paul closes, 1 Corinthians. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen.